You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I pray at this time that ultimately, that finally, it would be not my meager words, but your living word, Jesus, your Son, which goes forth, and that he indeed would take root in our hearts and our lives and bring the strength and the salvation that is found in him. And all this uh, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Years ago, I remember someone um, sharing a story, and it's one of those that has stayed with me to this day. Uh, It was shared with such insight and and clarity uh, about the person, but also very readily spoke to me as well, and it was at an Alpha conference. If any of y'all have heard of Alpha, Alpha was designed to be in many ways a short course in Christianity to to welcome um, people into a relationship with Jesus, and particularly designed in such a way that people who might be uh, doubtful or skeptical or wrestling could feel comfortable to bring their questions and their doubts uh, and their struggles. And it was at a conference for those who were going to lead Alpha courses. And one of the gentlemen that was one of the leaders shared a personal story. And it was about a woman that had come to an Alpha course at his church. And he said that while not outwardly, he said, I found myself inwardly judging her. I was carefully said to sort of hide that and the way that I related to her and, and the way that I was disposed toward her, but, but he said, inwardly in my heart, um, I was judging her. And, and the main reason was that she had had uh, multiple children with uh, multiple um, partners, and he couldn't help himself but, but judging her. And he said that during that course, uh, she came to faith, uh, and he began to look on her differently, not because she had come to faith, but he began to get to know her Um, more than he did before. And he said she began uh, to have a wonderful ministry of her own where she was able to minister to and speak to and draw others um, into that relationship with Jesus and and into the community of faith as well. And uh, one of the things that he said, uh, he said, wonderfully, mercifully, um, God convicted him of his judgmentalism, the way in which he had uh, secretly looked down upon her, and as he began to know her, began to know her story, uh, hers had been one, uh, in many ways, of of hardship, of deprivation, and of abuse. Uh, And not that, of course, that uh, inevitably means uh, that it's going to affect always the trajectory of her life, but if we're honest, uh, our experiences do have a big impact um, on the way uh, that we live our lives and the way that we relate um, to other people. But what he said is, is something that has remained with me to this day. And he said, you know, God revealed to me, and he thought, you know, what a, what a jerk I am. Uh, here I am. I, I was born on third base. Uh, I, I was born with, with every advantage in the world, and, I, and I'm patting myself on the back uh, about the fact that I've been born uh, on third base. And, and here is this person that has overcome all these um, hardships and all of these um, issues. And the fact that she's made it to first base should be cause for celebration. Uh, it should be cause um, for rejoicing. And, and I, I share that with you as he shared the, the judgmentalism of his heart, because as you might imagine, uh, as I listened to that, uh, it, it revealed to me the judgmentalism that is in my heart um, as well. 
And I have a pretty strong inclination that as I stand here, I'm not alone. Um, perhaps you have a smidge um, in your own heart as well. And, and, and we all have those people, don't we? Uh, maybe, you know, maybe we're pretty gracious across the board, but they're always those people. Um, they're always those people that, that bring up our sense of self-righteousness, that, that bring up uh, our sense uh, of, of judgment toward other people. And I share that with you because we continue to uh, preach through Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And as we read from the fourth chapter of Corinthians today, um, we hear, among other things, Paul uh, addressing uh, and, and really, quite frankly, uh, warning us uh, against thinking that we can see into the hearts of others. Uh, Paul warning us um, against judgment. Paul's reminder that, that God alone is the one who sits on the judgment seat, that God alone is the one who can see clearly not only into the hearts of others, uh, but God alone is the one who sees clearly into our hearts as well. And it begins by Paul talking about uh, the judgment which is directed um, toward preachers, uh, and thanks be to God, that's something we're unfamiliar with. Um, and now, granted, sometimes Sometimes it's merited, uh, but Paul is talking about the judgment um, directed toward preachers, and, and Paul puts in context, certainly he's speaking definitely about preachers, but he's speaking about much more than preachers as well. He's speaking um, to you and to me as, as followers uh, of Jesus, of those who would be uh, ambassadors of Jesus, and we begin with this first sentence. Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Two important words there, uh, servants uh, and stewards. Servants and stewards of the mystery of God. And as, as we reflect on, on what Paul says, I, I want to um, unpack this a little bit and, and go a little deeper and, and actually in the original Greek, and as I say that, it's always, particularly for this preacher, incredibly pedantic to say, well, you know, in the original Greek, but let me say it's actually um, important to the significance and to the depth uh, of what Paul is saying. The word which is used uh, for servant is not the traditional word um, diakonos, which, as you might imagine, is where we get um, our title deacon, one one who is called um, to serve, one who is a servant. But it's a word that Paul uses only here. Um, hyperetes is the word which is used. And uh, there's a specificity to it because what it means uh, is under rower. And you're thinking, that's really enlightening, Craig. Um, thanks a lot for that. Well, let me, let me uh, talk about what he's talking about. He says, we are, we are servants. So when he uses the word servants, he's using the word underwear. Back in the day when, when ships would travel, of course, uh, they, they didn't have motors. And so it was either by sail or by rowing or a combination of both. And as you might imagine, the under rower was the lowest of the rowers. Um, under, uh, under the rest, they were those who were um, subordinate. Uh, they were those who were under um, direction. Uh, and, and Paul talks about uh, the mystery, the mysteries of God, which uh, ultimately uh, is the way in which God has made himself known to us, the way in which God has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. The great uh, mystery of God is that God in his might and in his mercy would come forth into the world to save and to reconcile you and me through the folly um, of the cross 
um, through his bloodshed, through his cross, and through his resurrection, this great mystery which has been entrusted to us as, as servants. So Paul says uh, the task and the role of the preaching of the word of God is of phenomenal worth and merit and importance. Uh, but but we, are, uh, we are the servants of this, not the masters of this. Uh, we are the servers, servants of this, not the owners uh, of this. And he goes on, and, and the word he uses for stewards means one um, who was responsible um, for a great estate, uh, one who had tremendous um, responsibility and, and in many ways tremendous latitude as well in, in the running of, in the care of uh, this which was uh, of tremendous value, of huge responsibility. So Paul is basically saying, look, I'm not saying that we're uh, particularly important in and of ourselves, but as servants and stewards of this great treasure, uh, it is of uh, great importance. And what is, what is crucial, Paul asks, of servants? What is crucial of, of stewards? What is crucial of you and me that, that, we, uh, that we be people who are found faithful? Uh, that we are found faithful um, caring for this treasure which is entrusted to us. And he, and he, and he goes on and he begins um, to talk about um, the judgment. And Paul, in essence, says, you know, I'm really not worried about your judgment. Um, I, I'm not losing any sleep over your judgment. And, and let me make clear, what Paul is not saying is I don't care about you. Paul's not saying I, 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 don't, I don't care about you and I don't care um, what you think is not what Paul is saying. In fact, Paul's life and ministry among the people demonstrated the exact opposite, the way in which he poured out uh, his life for them and the way in which um, he served and brought um, the word to them often under great duress shows that he cares deeply, uh, immensely about the people personally. But what Paul is talking about, which is um, tremendous freedom for you and for me as well, is uh, being more concerned about being faithful to God than the judgment of others around us. And doesn't that sound tremendously freeing? Being more concerned uh, of being grateful and joyful and the great mystery uh, of Jesus Christ which has been given to us and revealed to us. More interested um, in the service uh, of God and the sharing of that than the judgment and the opinions uh, of those around us. How tremendously liberating and freeing does that sound to you and to me? And as I say that, uh, I recognize and I don't pretend uh, for a moment that I am unaffected um, by, the, by the opinions of others, that I'm somehow, uh, I've graduated um, from that. And, and yet there's this call to be most concerned. And Paul even goes on to say, I don't even judge myself. And what he's saying there is, is not that he doesn't evaluate his ministry or, or ever look um, discerningly or critically on himself. We're, we're called to be people who are discerning. Uh, we're called to be people who make decisions, who say yes um, to some things and, and no to other things, to invest in some things and to not invest in other things. But what Paul is talking about is ultimately um, the final judgment where Paul basically says to us this, you know, at the end of the day, I don't even know my own heart. God knows my own heart better than I know it myself. God alone is the one that can look clearly into the hearts of others around me. God alone is the one who looks clearly um, into my heart. And so I don't, uh, I don't waste effort uh, on what I'm not responsible for. I don't waste effort uh, on what 
you know, not called to do. That is God's responsibility. Um, that is um, God's call. Elsewhere, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, you perhaps remember um, these great words talking about this great treasure given to us uh, in Jesus and the way that God intervenes um, in our lives. In the second chapter of Ephesians, Paul writes this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then Paul writes this, But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one uh, may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul begins by talking about um, the judgment which is directed um, toward preachers, and as, the, as he continues to uh, unfold things for his hearers, he also talks about um, the reality for you and for me um, not to be boastful or puffed up, uh, because anything that we have at the end of the day is a gift from God. Um, any skills, any particular um, talents, uh, any um, blessings are not a result of our merits or our works, but of God's graciousness and a gift from Him. I, I want to share with you now uh, something that I read uh, about a month ago, and it's, it's been picked up in a number uh, of different outlets. And, and, and basically, it, it speaks to um, what the world is like, uh, what life uh, is like uh, when with, with God removed from the picture, uh, with God removed from the picture, because with God removed um, from the picture, who is the one who is left to discern? Who is the one who is left to judge? Uh, when, when God is removed from the picture, who is left to discern? Who's left to judge? Uh, you and me. Uh, and that is uh, a frightening um, and a cruel place um, to find ourselves. And this, I'm going to share just a little bit from you uh, from an op-ed by David Brooks. It was in the New York Times about a month ago. I'm sure some of you probably read it. And the title is The Cruelty of Call-Out Culture, How Not to Do Social Change. Uh, the Cruelty uh, of Call-Out Culture. And uh, he writes about it. Uh, he heard about this on an NPR episode of Invis Invisibilia. Uh, and he writes about uh, and talks to, uh, there were interviews with some in the punk rock scene um, in Richmond um, and, and, and the issues uh, in, in Richmond. I know what you're thinking. What's wrong with Virginia? Um, so the, the, the call-out culture, uh, in, and it even filters down to the punk rock scene. And, and this uh, young woman, Emily, was being interviewed. Uh, and as she was um, being interviewed, uh, she was sharing an experience of, of calling out um, one of her best friends. And I read to you now from Brooks's uh, article. Emily was a member of the hardcore punk music scene in Richmond, Virginia. One day when she was nearly 30, she was in a van with her best friend who was part of a prominent band. 
They were heading to a gig in Florida when the venue called to cancel their appearance. A woman had accused Emily's best friend of sending her an unwelcome, sexually explicit photograph. His bandmates immediately dismissed her allegations, but inwardly, Emily seethed. Upon returning to Richmond, she wrote a Facebook post denouncing her best friend as an abuser. And quote, I disown everything he has done. I do not think it's okay. Um, I believe women. The post worked. He ended up leaving the band and disappeared from the punk scene. Emily heard rumors that he'd been fired from his job, kicked out of his apartment, had moved to a new city, and was not doing well. Emily never spoke to him again. And this is how it begins. And, uh, and then uh, what happens next is Emily herself uh, gets called out by someone. Uh, she had called out um, her friend, and, and next Emily uh, is called out as well. And uh, on October 16, she was called out for something that she had done about a decade ago, posting uh, a mean emoji, um, uh, cyberbullying, making fun uh, of a girl uh, for whom a nude photograph had been uh, published uh, about her. And a post also um, went viral denouncing Emily. Uh, and, I, and I quote again, she too was the object of nationwide group hate. She was banned from the punk scene. She didn't leave the house for what felt like months. Her friends dropped her. She was scared, traumatized, and alone. She tried to vanish. It's entirely my life, she told Invisibilia tearfully. Like, this is everything to me, and it's all just like done and over. But then listen to this. But she accepted the, the, the legitimacy of the call-out process. If she was called out, it must mean she deserved to be rendered into a non-person. I don't know what to think of myself other than like, I am so sorry, uh, and I do feel like a monster. And it goes on, they, they interviewed uh, the person who called um, her out, and, and, and they're interviewing him and asking him, uh, he, he told her uh, that calling her out gave him a rush of pleasure. Uh, it gave him a tremendous rush uh, of pleasure. And he was asked if he, if he cared anything about the pain that, that she endured as a result of this, uh, and his response was this, no, I don't care. I don't care because it's obviously something you deserve, and it's something that's been coming. I literally do not care about what happens to you after the situation. I don't care if she's dead, alive, um, or whatever. And when the interview uh, pressed him, showing some skepticism, uh, he revealed that he too had been a victim, that his uh, father um, had beat him um, throughout, uh, uh, throughout his uh, childhood. Uh, and then uh, this is the last I'm going to and share from this, uh, but, he, but he writes uh, this, you see how zealotry is often fueled by people working out their psychological wounds. You see that when denunciation is done through social media, you can destroy people without even knowing them. There's no personal connection that allows apology and forgiveness. The podcast gives a glimpse of how cycles of abuse get passed down one to another. It shows what it's like to live amid a terrifying call-out culture a vengeful game of moral one-upmanship in which social annihilation um, can come um, at any second. I, I feel um, for the people, um, that, uh, the younger people that, that live in this uh, type of, of context now, and of course it's not just younger people, of course we see it um, up 
uh, across the spectrum of ages today. Uh, but we see when, uh, when we're divorced from one another, when we, we create um, caricatures of one another uh, and begin to cast not just judgment, but a desire to destroy uh, and to eliminate um, the other person as if they're not a person, we, we see um, the carnage and the wreckage that comes as a result. And you see the tremendous importance of being servants and stewards of the great mystery um, that has been given to us, God's revelation of himself in Jesus, God coming into the world um, to save a, a sick uh, and broken uh, and violent world. For you and for me, when we recognize um, our need um, for his grace and his mercy, when we recognize um, our need um, to be um, forgiven and to be reconciled, there's the opportunity for you and for me to be filled with a joy and with a gratitude, with, a, with an essential perspective that affects the way that we look um, to God, that affects the way that we look at ourselves, that affects the way that we look um, at one another in a way that is wonderfully freeing instead of the painfully moralistic, judgmental, uh, and vengeful way which the world would offer us otherwise. And so I pray that we hear uh, the good news which Paul holds out to us this morning, that we value uh, as followers of Jesus the great treasure which has been given to us to be servants of and stewards of, the recognition of how deeply and desperately the world um, needs this message and what we turn into um, without it. <laughs> and quite frankly, even with it, we're not so great. Uh, but what we turn into without it uh, is absolutely um, disastrous. Uh, as we hear that this day, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your might and your mercy you come to us in Jesus, your Son. Uh, you come to a world uh, which desires to tear one another apart. Draw our hearts and our minds, most gracious God, to our great need of you uh, and your great gift to us and your sufficiency in Jesus, your Son, and his cross and his resurrection. And so transform our hearts and our minds that we might live uh, with a sense of joy, with a sense of certainty, uh, that we might be servants and stewards of this great truth. And this we ask in ourselves, we offer now in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.